Welcome to After Hours, conversations for music educators, presented by Emro Music. This is where we share ideas and work towards solutions to better serve your students. In this episode, Nick Averwater talks with Tyler Swick, a celebrated and award-winning music educator from Las Vegas, whose YouTube channel, Swick's Classroom, has over 14,000 subscribers and has been visited more than three and a half million times. We thought Tyler's enthusiasm for music education and his innovative ideas would be just right as the new school year is about to begin. This conversation was recorded June 27, 2022. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After Hours Conversations for Music Educators. I'm excited today to sit down with my very good friend, Mr. Tyler Swick of Robert and Sandy Ellis Elementary in Clark County, Nevada. Tyler, it's so good to see you, and welcome back. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be back. It's been a, a wild time it has, uh, since we've seen each other. <laughs> it has been a wild time. Now, for those of you that may not know Tyler, Tyler is an absolutely incredible, passionate, energetic educator out in Las Vegas. He's also the recipient of the 2020 Heart of Education Award winner and a 2021 Yamaha 40 Under 40 Music Educator. Both very well-deserved. Congratulations, oh, Tyler. Thank you. I had, a, I had a great pandemic, let me tell you. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Well, and you've been a guest on this show before. Now, if you recognize, for our listeners, if you recognize his name, Tyler was a contributing author in our post-pandemic planning guide. He stayed extremely busy behind the scenes writing a lot of the content from our team of expert educators and really a big part of the success in that project. So I'm excited to welcome Tyler back and really just sit down and do a deep dive into his career and, and what fuels his passion and his energy that we're going to talk so much about. So Tyler, for our listeners that may not know you, why don't you just take us through your history? What brought you to where you are today? And perhaps who are the educators that influenced you Ooh. and that you try to emulate in your teaching style today? How excited. That's, this is fun because I feel like I could do like 30 minutes on this topic. Uh, so I'll, I'll, do a, I'll do a fast version, but uh, I was a late band bloomer. My dad was a guitar player and not, not yet a guitar educator. And I was like, yeah, guitar's cool, but like guitar wasn't an option. And when I was in middle school, you could do a guitar club where the PE teacher sold his prep so that he could teach tabs uh, in one of the classrooms. And that was less than satisfactory, as you can imagine. Uh, so I ended up joining band in the eighth grade. I was a late one. They put me in seventh grade band as an eighth grader. And I thought there's nothing more demoralizing uh, than, than being the oldest kid in intermediate band. Uh, but luckily my parents, uh, my dad being a musician, he knew that we had to get some private lessons. And so I went, we went over to UNLV and got some of those fantastic DMA students to show me the right way. And they sent me down this awesome path of being a percussionist. And I went to the Las Vegas Academy, which is an arts high school, where it's just, I mean, it's incredible, but it's, if you like music, dance, creating art, all these, uh, topics combined theater uh, they throw all these artsy kids in one school and they say, have fun. And it was a time of my life, which launched me into going to college for percussion, the University of Kentucky. I had an amazing time there. And I went straight from there to the University of Iowa, where I got my master's degree in percussion as well. Uh, and I, I was just super excited. I thought, I'm going to be a percussion professor. I'm clearly, it's my favorite thing to do. I'm clearly going to be a professor of percussion. And uh, my final semester of my undergraduate, we had to take a course called Elementary Music. And it was at 9 a.m., and I hated 
that I had to get up at 9 a.m. or 8, you know, 8.30, run over there, and then do like a Ram Sam Sam, a Ram Sam Sam, hooli hooli hooli. <laughs> I was going, oh, this is torture. This is torture, man. Give me the hardest sheet music you got instead of this. Uh, anyway, after grad school, my parents said, okay, get a doctor or get a job. <laughs> And I was done. I was done with college. I, I applied for a bunch of elementary music positions because I thought, you know what, there's something here where I saw what middle school was like, I knew what high school was like, and I thought maybe elementary has less expectation. And that sounds like a lazy approach. It sounds like you're trying to get out of work. Uh, but this idea of if you become a, a marching band director... There's some expectations that are immediately in place. You gotta be at the football games. You gotta have an entertaining show. You gotta do the competitions. And it'd be really cool if you did well at the competitions. Uh, and middle school's the same way, where you're preparing students from possibly zero to they better be ready to be a freshman in high school. Uh, but elementary, there was this kind of gray area of what, what do they do? And I love that now I have a huge answer for that. But at the time, I was equally oblivious, maybe as everyone, as to what do elementary music teachers do. Uh, and it became this fun game sense of grabbing, I mean, the entire populace of a school and saying, music is an important part of your life. And I know not all of you will join middle school anything in music, but if I can get any of you to appreciate the music you listen to more, or if I get any of you to dance a little bit more than you used to, or if some of you can hit this bass drum and get all your anger out, uh, it's, it's a step in the right direction. And so I've had this amazing time in Las Vegas now being an elementary music teacher. This is year eight that just finished up. And uh, I've had this, this a very fun run at it. I, I started at a school that was uh, basically like a turnaround school where we're trying to get all the things better. And I spent four years there, and I had this, a wonderful experience of learning what I don't know. Uh, as much as we talk about, you know, edu you have to get an education degree to get ready to teach, and then you go and teach, and you go, wow, that ed degree, uh, they really left out a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. we, we hear that occasionally you hear that with often, our young right? educators, yeah. Yeah, it's like, and, and how we fix that is wildly, I mean, if I had an answer, but it's almost like if I became a professor today, and I taught future music education majors how long until my information is outdated maybe four years one pandemic is all it yeah takes. except we're a pandemic yeah you know now that i have all this great pandemic experience i'll be spouting about how you teach online and they're gonna be asking why do we need to learn how to teach online uh <laughs> but that, uh i'm, I'm equally aware i'm aware yeah. that if if i taught how to be a teacher i would be invalid rarely you know pretty quick uh as far as education is always changing yeah. Uh, so anyway, that, that kind of led us to this, where uh, some awards came around, which started some wonderful conversations with people like yourself and Yamaha, and we then teamed up, and it was probably, I mean, just eye-opening to at least see how other states were handling it. A lot of times we get in our own heads, my district's doing this, so I have to do that, and I'm the only person in the world that feels this way, and then talking across the country and saying like, well, in this county we're doing blank, and in this county we're doing this, and... All of a sudden, you realize you're not alone, and we're all kind of going through this horrible uh, uprooting together. But now we're kind of back into the ease of things. We're, we're hoping that next year is maybe the most normal year we've had in three school years, which would be pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed. And and I love. I mean, you you still actively perform, and and just just for fun. Uh, your your performance is kind of a non traditional percussion instrument, at least in the southeast. Uh, yes. And so tell me about that. 
Yeah, I love the steel pan, like with a fiery passion. I saw one at like a Nevada Day of Percussion. The steel, the CSN steel band played, and they played a bunch of calypsos. And I went up to the band afterwards and said, "How how do I do this? How do I join your group?" It was just an immediate passion, right? You know, you see somebody go, "I I want to be a part of this. How do I do this?" And the professor was so cool as a uh, Robert Benora, and he said, "Just come on down. We'll figure out the credits later." And sure enough, he got me like a one-credit scholarship to join the class, <laughs> which was awesome. And as a high schooler, I could take college-level steel band, which was amazing because then when I went to college, I had a, a step ahead. And then when I went to my grad uh, school, I chose Iowa because of their awesome steel band program where they have four steel bands going a week, and it's just a great experience over there. Um, so now in Las Vegas... The events that want steel pan are usually pretty fun. You know, they're a pretty good time. And my, my current claim to fame is we were hired to play a gig at the Mandalay Bay. We we're playing the Mandalay Bay Beach. They have like a, a man-made beach in their backyard. And we we're playing and we hear that we're opening for a band. And we go, wow, there's a really good Bruno Mars cover band. Man, they certainly sound real. They really sound real. And then we look and it really was Bruno Mars. And we didn't know that we were playing the same event. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Like, yeah, I was like, how funny is this? I like, I like to think, like, only in Vegas can you have, like, a, a gig, and you're like, cool, we're having a good time. Oh, what's that other music we hear? Oh, it's a Grammy award-winning and, like, current superstar playing 100 feet that direction. That's I pretty thought. awesome. And feature, yeah. you've been featured on a commercial, too, right? Yes. That's pretty uh, awesome. LG Phones, R-E-P. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> LG Phones, uh, they did this awesome project where they crowdsourced a commercial. They said, we're going to have people use our phone to make the commercial. So you submitted a little play in your backyard footage and they said, great. They picked their crew and they sent everyone two phones. They said, you're going to film with one phone and you're going to film them filming you with this other phone. So it was very uh, Inception-like. But then everyone submitted footage of themselves being filmed by an LG phone, but they really used the footage to make the commercial, which I thought was super cool. It's kind of like a nice statement of like, we, we trust our camera so much, we made a million dollar commercial out of it. Yeah, and so it had a fun run where it had about nine months on the air, and I was I was living large for those nine months. Just pointing to TVs, going, he's, "Hold on, hold on." Oh, there I am! Like there it is, <laughs> I, and it's a, it's a really cool commercial. So yeah, for right. people that go back and see it, you'll see Tyler there uh, <laughs> playing his still pan, and just a really yeah. cool commercial. So man, you've done a lot in your eight years. So <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit about your YouTube channel, Swix Classroom, because um, I, I think a lot of educators know you through your YouTube channel. It's gotten a ton of traffic, but. Take me through kind of the history of uh, Swix Classroom, because I think you were well-positioned when the pandemic hit, and you had a really interesting perspective that I want to unpack with you. Yeah. No, I, I love this, because it was the happiest of accidents, and maybe it was kind of like being in the right place at the right time. I uh, Two years before the pandemic, I, we were, I was getting ready to take paternity leave at my school, where I knew I was going to take off three to four weeks to be at home. I was super excited and also very nervous for the birth of my child, uh, but I knew in my, in my school district, a music sub just isn't a real thing. There might be two or three in the whole district, and we have about 250, 300 elementary schools. So that person is very busy, and unless you're on their good list, they're not coming to your school. Uh, <laughs> not unlike Santa Claus. So I knew I would have to use a regular, uh, not a regular, just a classroom substitute. They had a fantastic rapport with the students, which is awesome. But I knew that a music lesson would not go the same, and especially for three weeks. 
that's kind of a hard, a hard, uh, that's a big order yeah. to take on. So I said to myself, like, what if I made a video where it was me teaching? A lot of times we talk about showing videos and showing videos 10 years ago was kind of like a time killer. And probably for the last 90 years, it was a time killer of like, okay, we're entertaining people with something else so I can do nothing or I can do something else. But I wasn't, what if the video is highly educational right on topic with what you're trying to accomplish that day? And so I made a 20 minute video of me doing an overhead camera view of me playing a xylophone. I play it, you play it. I play it, you play it. And it started off at, let's say, like 70 beats per minute. Okay, great. Let's go up to 80. I play, you play. I play, you play. It went up to 90. It went up to 100. Finally, it goes up to 110. And that idea of if you do well, we go faster is this incredible motivator for young students because for some reason, fast is good, right? <laughs> fast cars are cool. Rockets are cool. I run fast because I'm cool. So to say, hey, if you do music well, it goes faster. Uh, it, was, it was a real motivator. And so I tested out the video before I went on leave. And it went so well, I thought, okay, I need to have many of these. So I made it four of them. When it was said and done, the idea being the teacher could come. It's a 50-minute music class. Hello, welcome. Press play on the first one. 20 minutes later, press play on the second one. Press play on the third one. Class is over. And if for any reason you can't use one of those videos, here's a fourth one. And it went so well, I couldn't believe it, that I was like, this is, this is something. Now, back then, to share a file with a substitute was a funny situation because I either had to like burn it to a CD and leave that CD out, thumb drive, I could leave it on thumb drive. It was, just, it was just difficult to get video files to someone you've never met before. Our school didn't have a cloud service yet. Emailing the file was too big. So I landed on, what if I just put it on YouTube, a place where no one cares? <laughs> and they can just have the, I can email them the link the morning of. Yeah. And so that is what started it. About four, four xylophone videos on YouTube, and the excitement was, by the end of the school year, I knew the substitute had shown it about 100 times. You know, like, yeah, it was just a, 100 views from this. And by the end of the school year, uh, one of the videos had 1,000 views. And I thought, okay, somebody else is watching this, which is such an obvious statement. It's on YouTube. It's on the internet for all to see. But, but at more the time, somebodies. I really had no one. Yeah, yeah, more somebodies. More somebodies. More teachers that need a lesson. More substitutes that need help. And I got this, like, real thrill from... I made something that's helpful to other people. And that was super exciting to be like, whoa, maybe my ideas are okay or maybe good even. <laughs> uh, and so that was the start of it. When people started watching those videos and using them, I thought, okay, what if I made a song? What if I made a silly song? What if I made a song about holidays? What if I wrote a, an original song and then showed you how to play it on a xylophone? And that kind of exploded. Over the next uh, two years, I made videos where... It got maybe a couple hundred views. I thought, wow, a couple of hundred classrooms got to see my thing, which I thought was super cool. Uh, but the pandemic happens. <laughs> and everyone goes home, and I kind of continue on my, I'm going to make videos, but of course it's going to cater to my students who are at home with Chromebooks. They're at home where they don't have instruments. And I start making the videos including like digital instruments, okay? You're going to play a digital xylophone. So I created a digital xylophone that students could click on and using their keypad they could play the xylophone using their number pad or in other instruments like that. And that's when the exciting stuff started happening where it's like, uh-oh, my channel went from getting 500 views a day to today I got 2,000. I go, what just happened? Uh, and the, the, it was a very organic growth in that somebody would post in a group, hey, I use this video, what do you all think? And I was going, oh, this is exciting. They're sharing my stuff in the groups. And then it kind of snowballed. 
And the absolute peak of this would be when we returned from quarantine, I had this idea of we can't really share instruments. So boom whackers make the most sense. A student could have one or two boom whackers in their hands, and that's theirs for the whole class period. And because it's a hard plastic, I felt no grief about wiping them down down. with harsh chemicals, spraying, all the germ killing. I had nothing but terror of, like, if we play ukuleles, I got to rub these ukuleles six times a day with, you know, alcohol or killer or something like that. And I just I just thought in, in five years, these ukuleles might be just absolute mutants of what they used to be. Uh, <laughs> so the boom so whackers the, is perfect, yeah. The boom whackers are perfect. And l- very lucky for me, a lot of people agreed that boom whackers made the most sense as far as inexpensive. Uh, you know, for one boom whacker, it was a reasonable price. For one student to have entertainment for a full hour, it was a great price compared to a xylophone or a ukulele. And I started doing pop songs and write. The, the real magic was in Kanto had just come out on Disney+. And I said, yeah, those songs are real catchy. What if I <laughs> made a video where the boom whackers showed you how to play these Encanto songs? And the rest is kind of history after that. I made 55 boom whacker videos over the next three months. And then I, I reached a good burnout level of I'm tired of making burn, uh, <laughs> boomwhacker videos. And, and now the channel is doing well. And so now, funny enough, uh, the United States had their fun with it. We're on, winter, uh, we're on break now. But now I'm seeing the data of the rest of the country, I'm sorry, the rest of the planet, where some friends are still in school right now. And they're now watching it. And I get to see how the comments are coming from that direction. And the data's coming in saying, oh, you're, you're getting views around the world as opposed to just in your own neighborhood, which has been pretty exciting. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome, I, I hate to use the word accident because it was very intentional, <laughs> but, but you are a hundred percent correct. And that, that's just, that's a, such a cool growth and, and just a, a humble, give us a humble brag right now. At this point, how many views does the YouTube channel have? You know, this is this is how unhumble it is. I know like the exact. I know it's like three point four million because I check in on it very often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was proud of the first million. And I was just like a million views. Like I can't quantify how many students that may have had a music sub. They might have not had a music class that day. They may have had to watch Stomp for the fiftieth time. But instead. <laughs> They got a boomwhacker lesson from me, and I go, I mean, there's, there's just a real thrill from that, that I'm not just reaching the students that are in my proximity, but possibly affecting students all over. And yeah. there's just a real high that comes with that of like, wow, this is a big impact. And I think all teachers, or at least the teachers that I think love their jobs, uh, they want that. That's really all they want. They want to say, I impacted the students in front of me. Of course, great. But if you could create something that spans around the, I mean, just any, like, it's like a second classroom. If you had one fan that says, I love how you teach, I want to teach the way you teach, that would be the greatest feeling. A lot of times it's the acknowledgement we're looking for is, you know, we understand money's a whole thing and whatever, but (laughs) a quick, a quick supplement is just finding out you're doing a good job and enough that somebody else would like to do it the same way. Uh, It's, it's the greatest feeling ever. And so, yeah, I, I wrote, um, an application for an award, and I was like, my channel currently has, and I was trying to do the math, but by the time they read this, I have to project what I think the channel was, and luckily, I'm, this is part of my unhumble brag, is that I predicted 3 million by the time they'd get it, 
and now it's almost at three and a half. So I was like, oh, I should have wrote three and a half million. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, it's it's a it's a great resource. I've been on there and have just enjoyed. I follow it and enjoyed keeping up with the great things that you do. So in taking a step back a little bit, because I know there were a lot of educators that, like you, kind of made this transition to full digital, and then we went back to in-person. And I think understandably so, a lot of people wanted to just put the digital aside. Hey, this, this, it's not the same as in-person learning, and I think there, there are pros and cons to each. But I have to imagine you're continuing to generate videos. You are kind of um, co-positioning in-person and digital learning together. You know, tell me about how you're doing that and maybe the strategy and the approach that you're taking to blend both in-person and digital learning post-pandemic now. Yeah, I love this question. That's fantastic. Uh, my, my favorite idea of the benefit of still being digital is twofold. One is it's like having a second teacher in the classroom. We always talk about ratio. Ratio. Our ratios are getting worse. I, I can't think of any place on the planet where the ratios are getting better. But every school district has a peak number. You're allowed to be 25 to 1. Maybe it's all the way up to 35 to 1. Uh, but in the moment where students come in the classroom, uh, when I have a video on, they pay attention to that video as if it's a second person in the room. You, they, the video is unforgiving. It doesn't stop for you. <laughs> it's going to continue to have fun whether you're a part of it or not. And it's kind of like the people who are paying attention are creating this fun, and it makes you, it pulls you along. So I love to use it as an entry to the classroom. Welcome, come on in. And there's some friends that drag their feet. Some friends just got an argument with the teacher. Some friends are still crying because they didn't do their homework. And the video goes. It doesn't apologize. It says, hey, we're making music now. And it kind of uplifts the room right upon entry. And then this allows me to be the second teacher. The primary teacher is now the video. Luckily, I don't feel guilty because it's like, that's my voice. So, you know, that's me, basically. But I get to be the second teacher. I get to go around and tie the shoes. I get to go around and hand out the tissues. I get to go around and be the, the caregiver that accepts the room and says, welcome, your music. Here's that hug you've been looking for. Or here's the high five. Oh, you played baseball last night? That's awesome. All right, the video's going. Grab your spot. And it allows the video gets to pull the student into the music world. I get to be kind of the, the in-between of some people just aren't emotionally ready to be in a different room. And I get to talk about this because they're young people, right? I know in high school, it might be the same story. They might not emotionally be ready to walk into that band room. And could you imagine if you had two directors? One is saying, all right, we're doing long tones. Get over here. And the other one's at the door greeting saying, hey, how's it going? Are you okay? How's it going? Oh, you stayed up late? Awesome. And just making that human connection while the video, very inhuman, <laughs> is kind of sending that, okay, we're making music now. Let's go. And so that's, that's my current approach at that. The second part of why I still like the videos is that students are at home still on YouTube anyway. <laughs> yeah. Students are still spending their time on tablets and phones, and they're still having that in-between time where maybe they don't play, especially in Las Vegas. It's 102 or 3 outside right now. People are not outside on the playground getting burnt. They're on their tablets and air conditioning. So my mind... I, I want to almost refer to it as music homework, where we perfected math homework a long time ago. You get the book. The book goes home with you. You open the book. You do your problem. Blah, blah, blah. You come back. We'd look at your work. And like music homework, we've always said go home and practice. And that's great. Some students can do it on their own. Some students have parents that are very strict about it, and it turns out great. And then some, there's no direction for some other friends. And so this, these videos are kind of that at-home practice guidance that uh, I think young people are looking for, where they say, hey, we just did this song about sprinkles at school. I loved it. 
And 10 years ago, they have to wait until the next music class to hear the Sprinkle song again. Or I moved on and they never hear it again. <laughs> but in this situation, they go home, they get on YouTube, they can watch the Sprinkle song. They can watch me teach the Sprinkle song on a digital instrument that they have free access to. Uh, and then it becomes like music homework. And the amount of students I've had come back to school and say, hey, I learned Sprinkle song last night. Can I play it for you? And I go, whoa, awesome. And, and this, is, this happens. It's not magical, but I'll go over to the piano and I'll use a dry erase marker and I'll write the letter names on the keyboard, and then it will look like their digital xylophone. It will look like what they see at home, and then they'll, you know, chicken peck the song, and they go, they would have never done that if the resource wasn't online. And so, for me, that's the exciting part of, like, the student that wants extra music, where do they find it? And I'll, I'll get on a, a soapbox maybe later about it, but the short version now is that, like, all of us should be creating content for students to find at home. Like, YouTube has been filled with amazing and incredible things, but also it could be filled with these helpful things uh, where all these educators could be putting up their content, their ideas, reaching their students. And I think in a perfect world, eventually YouTube would have its own corner of like music education of, all right, here's a hundred amazing plans for you to choose from. <laughs> you know, and I just think, I think that's the revolution that I predict will hopefully one day happen. If I can get a couple other me's, and they exist, finding them is the hard part, right? They, all of There's so many music teachers who are operating as lone wolves right now because <laughs> they're the only elementary music teacher in their building, and maybe they don't have PD. And if we could convince them, hey, if you kind of create some online content, you're going to realize there's a community of us that all want to just kind of share lessons and make sure we're providing the best thing we can for students. And yeah. even putting my own lessons online, getting critiques, has made me a better teacher. People going, why do you do this? What if you did that? And I go, oh, whoa, what if I did that? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a that's a very um, Khan Academy type approach to this where let's get the best people to teach this subject and then make it available to everybody. So, you know, my, my next question is this. This is where we are now. Where do you see this going in the future? And, and is that what you're kind of seeing? There's a huge potential for us to go in that direction? I absolutely feel that way. I already can see the cons. I, I I pitched to my elementary music head in our school district. We're the, we're the fifth largest school district in the country. So this person oversees, I think, about 300 music educators, which is wild. Um, and I suggested, what if instead of all of us teaching online during the pandemic, you tasked all of us, 300 people, with making one good digital lesson? And then... We made a library of CCSD online digital lessons. And the idea is that there's twice as many as you need for a school year. Right. <laughs> you could do two years of everyone's best lesson. And uh, I thought that was just like next level thinking. And the, the quickness of my director was if we did that, they would likely fire all of you and hire like uh, you know a teenager to press play because they have 300 amazing lessons. <laughs> well, but and, and that's through the lens of only the online learning component, right? But if we back right. up and use your example of how you're using these in a hybrid scenario, you can see right. where it's so valuable because I, I love the example where you're using the content to almost take an operational component off your plate of the classroom so that you can focus on the personal. And I think that is where so much meaning is created between student and educator, and that allows you to free that up. So 
that in and of itself is pretty special what you're doing there. I, and I appreciate the way you said that a lot of just allowing me to be a second me and me to be uh, not just director, musical director me, and to say, okay, we have, we, have, we have a job to do here, but also we need to be emotionally prepared to do it. Um, as far as the future goes, there, there's one, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the name wrong if I even try, but social media, and I'm gonna say TikTok specifically, has kind of shown the rise of the content creator music educator, which is like a lot of, a lot of syllables, but the music teacher that wants to create content that either makes other teachers laugh, which we've all seen that guy with the southern voice, the principal who talks like this, and uh, I can't even think. I know it sounds horrible, but yeah, we've all seen those videos. Sitting in his car. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We've all seen it, and it's all, it cracks all of us up because it's all on the nose. It's all amazingly perfect. Uh, and they just did like a comedy tour where they got like six of those type of educators turned comedians and put them on a tour, and I think that's a wonderful idea because it makes us laugh. It kind of makes us a little bit more realizing that we're all going through this thing together. But the other side of that is I would love a team-up of the same way of those content creators that make lessons uh, to be able to say, okay, listen, we band together, and we made you know the most perfect October lesson plan. <laughs> and from October 1st to 31st, like we got you covered. Um, but as far as in the classroom, I think technology is going to catch up eventually. But there's this one TikTok channel, and I feel terrible that I, I'm not going to get it right, but it's something like Music to Colors, or it's like Musica to Colors, something like that. But it's a company that is pushing the same idea of a moving target falling down. Uh, if you haven't seen my Boomacker videos, the whole concept is Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero, you see a, a dot coming from a distance, and when it reaches your play zone, you strike. And that was how you read Rhythm. And so with this, it's color-coded dots falling down, and it tells the students when to play their boom whacker. Nothing new, just rebranded. And this company came up with like a smart board version of this, where instead of hitting your own instrument, you can actually tap the screen when it fell down. So instead of you playing a physical instrument, you're tapping a screen. And then they took it to the next level where they said, okay, but what if it went this way, left to right, for those who are not looking at me, left to right? What if the dots went left to right? And it was like a treble clef. And then the students could have to like pop the notes uh, when it says like, ooh, pop the G and then have to like hit G to pop it. And it was physically interactive, which I think students really enjoy. It's not gonna replace all things, but if it's one more element where students are up, students are being challenged, that video game mentality is not going away. So I think in uh, kind of joining the forces of, I think Guitar Hero is so amazing and still part of our culture because it combined musical elements with video game elements. There's a real world hand like controller and it still was competitive. So it yeah. really kind of had this perfect blend. And I think they're really, that company is really pushing the boundaries of what if your smart board is a little bit more like a video game controller and they're creating really addictive content from what I've seen online. Um, but I like the idea of that's pushing the envelope. And if yeah. you're hearing that going, that's not for me, that's fine. It might be the inspiration for the next person to say, this is what we should be doing. But I think the idea of, I, I love instruments. I love, of course, I, I think students should play instruments more than anything. Uh, being a percussionist up front, I know my program is percussion heavy, right? And vocal kind of comes second and dance kind of comes third. Uh, <laughs> but I like the idea of if there was a technology element that allowed a different dance teacher to teach my students dance, then it would be a better program. 
And in turn, I would learn from that same online digital dance person. And then I would become a better teacher because one day and go, oh, I don't need the video anymore. I can do this. Yeah. Um, and I just like the idea of it's going to make us better. It's almost like professional development. But in the meantime, let's have them teach the students and you can witness it. And I think that's kind of something that we don't have is the ability where, you know, to pay as like a dance person to come to my room is one thing. It's going to cost a lot of money. To get them to volunteer is one thing because it costs them their time. But for a person to create a video and maybe there's ad revenue or maybe it's a low entry fee. Uh, but yeah, the idea of something that I'm really interested in is the idea of teaching the elements you're not amazing at. And it's the same way marching band directors or uh, band directors have been doing that forever where they're the band director and they hire out the paraprofessionals to fill in the gaps they feel like they have. If I'm the percussionist, I need a woodwind and a brass paraprofessional. I got the percussion part. I need two pros. Now, what if there was kind of an online element where the students were able to go on their tablet, their Chromebook, and instead of that person being there, one person with an amazing curriculum could then be present on all of these devices at a different, at a, you know, at a when needed, I'll say. Yeah. Definitely can see the the opportunities there. So, well, in changing gears a little bit, kind of away from, well, to a certain extent online, but a little bit more classroom based. Um, one of the things that I have just picked up on in talking with you is that you take recruiting and retention of music students in your program very, very seriously. And you build a lot of intentionality into trying to create a path for them. Now, when students depart your program, do they go to one school or do they kind of scatter based on zoning to different schools? Yeah, it's a great question. It's about 80, I'll say 85% go to their designated school. And then my neighborhood specifically is poached. I'm going to use the word poached. I'm going to go crazy here. Uh, It's poached by uh, charter schools and private schools. So you have students spreading out, and it would be easy to say, you know what, I'm not really going to emphasize this in my very limited classroom time, the recruiting and the retention component, because they're going to go to all these different programs, and I really don't have any control. But you take a very different approach to this to say, no, 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 I want, I, I take this very seriously in my program. So help me understand the things that you do to help encourage music recruiting and retention. So when they leave, you want to see them continue in music. Absolutely. And I I believe wholeheartedly in there's a fear that I went through of if I join band, I don't even know how to play a trumpet. I'm going to be the worst trumpet player in the room. And there wasn't this kind of understanding that all of you should be bad at trumpet at this moment. All of you do not know trumpet. (laughs) Um, But so pre-pandemic, we would go above and beyond and have the the middle school that we normally feed, like 85% of our students go to, they would actually come down and have their band perform. And in real genius, I, and if I chose, they'd bring their eighth graders who could absolutely put on a total smoke show of just like, whoa, eighth graders are insanely good. Uh, but the genius of these middle school teachers, they bring the sixth graders. They bring the kids that graduated last year where they were, they'll say, I remember that face from the playground. I remember that face from the lunchroom. And they bring the students that were just at my school and they say, this is what we taught them in nine months. And I was just like, because, of course, in my mind, quality sells. And they go, no, no, no. The connection of, you knew this kid before they played flute. Now look at them playing flute this well seven, eight months later. And I was like, wow. That blew my mind just to show that what they're capable of doing. Because my biggest fear was I didn't want to be the worst 
anything in the room, so I chose uh, like origami <laughs> as an elective. And then uh, all those years later, I don't remember a thing about origami. But if I joined band sooner, I would remember every single bit of like sixth grade band. So I regret that heavily. So maybe that's why I take it so seriously. It was like, you cannot join band late. That was my, I joined band late. I don't want the same for you. So during the pandemic, it became a little bit more of how do we connect the students and the teachers? So we decided to do this online experience. And Marsha Neal is a big part of this. Or Marsha kind of gave me the idea of like, what if, what if we treated recruitment like we do sports? And what if you could go into it and say, like, okay, I am so-and-so from this elementary school, and I chose, and it could be school name. And everyone goes, yeah, and it goes, and I'm going to play. And then they hold up either their instrument or they hold up, like, I joined choir, I joined orchestra, and everyone cheers. And that was a really exciting time because, again, it's not about the student meeting the teacher as much as the students seeing other students are going to go do it with no problem. They're going to go do it, and they're happy to go do it. And I think it's more connected about the students. And so when I asked the middle school people for some footage, again, to their credit, they sent back footage of eighth graders who were leaving, who were just like absolutely emotional about leaving the program. And they're, I mean, tears are flowing saying, I'm going to miss my choir director so much. She was my second mother and I could go to her for anything. And, and if you're thinking about choir, you need to do choir. And that testimonial was so much more powerful than anything I could ever say. I could say, you need to do choir or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be angry. What? That doesn't work. But to see a, a young person that they probably see as like, whoa, eighth graders are ginormous. And they're, you know, passionately explaining choir was the best part of middle school for me. I think like the people where they have a little inkling go, okay, I think I need to do this because that person looks pretty sold on this. Uh, but yeah, I, I take it real seriously. And it's part of that ecosystem of if the middle school numbers dip, then it might be that principal's decision to lower the options. Oh, not a lot of people inquire. Let's get rid of it. And I, I can't have that. I, I, and I don't think anybody would, would be happy with that concept. In fact, I'd love the opposite of we have too many kids joining band. We need a second band director. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would much rather that happen. Yeah, and, and, and I again, I just love the intentionality, whether it's in-person or digital. I mean, you're you're taking those students' retentions very personally. Well, and not just personally, but you're, you're building it into your curriculum to help them transition and ease that fear. Because, you know, from the conversations we've had, I think most students are lost when there's this jump and they simply don't know what the other side looks like, right? Whether it's a jump from elementary to middle, middle to high school, a new educator, whatever it is, there's this jump and they don't know what the other side looks like. So they choose not to jump and they take out, they remove from the program. But by going ahead and doing all that and, and incorporating that into your program, you're helping them see the other side about where they're going to be going. And I love that, uh, the, the fact that you all do that. Now, that we might have some listeners. We have a lot of middle school educators that are listening. Of course, you're sharing the elementary side, and they're thinking, hey, Tyler, that's great, but you know, I don't really have a lot of influence on all of this. So what advice would you give a middle school educator to perhaps begin that conversation with an elementary educator or the, their feeder programs to help build yeah. that relationship. Yeah, I, th I think now more than ever, the, the in-person visit used to be my recommendation. You got to do what we do. Go down to that school, do a trade day, you know, elementary teacher, I don't know. Uh, and that's hard because subs and administrators agreeing to it, that's all tough. But something that you can do now to avoid all of that would be a digital presence. And something that we were able to do this last year was show 
a video recording of the band concert in my classroom because it was live streamed. The video was made of it, uh, and I could show it in my classroom and say, "Okay, here we don't have to go to the band concert. Here's a video of it." And then we had the directors zoom in and say, "Hey, I'm I'm the choir director over at the school. Nice to see you." Uh, this is what my classroom looks like. It was during their class, so they could then put the camera in the corner, and they did a little song, a little performance, small tidbits, and then the students go, I now know what the classroom looks like. I know that they stand when they sing. Oh, look at all those kids are dressed so cool. And the things that, like, as adults we don't even care about are what they're fixated on. Whoa, that room looks cool. It's like, I don't care what the room looks like. Is it a good director or not? And they're going, oh, I like that poster. You know, I don't know. So like, I get to stand on risers, or I get to hold a bassoon, or all these things that they see of like, that's what got their attention. I think that digital presence is the way to go. Or even if it's towards the end of the year, your concert's over as a middle school director, and you're like, I got to burn these last two weeks. What do I do? Perfect time. Hey, let's bust out that beginning book, that beginning song that we all do so well, and we go on a Zoom call, to, and you can have multiple elementary schools at the same time. It could be one digital performance. And I know uh, paperwork could be a thing, like, a, like the, the sign-offs. But I don't, I'm curious about, from everyone else's perspective, a lot of times we're worried about children's faces going on the internet because then other adults are seeing it. But I'm curious about the legality of students Zoom to other students. Might be an easier path, and I think everyone probably needs to check with their own administrator about that. But the idea of we're showing our students to other students in the district, in on campus. Uh, but the point is, you could do a digital concert and show off what's going on in your classroom. This is what a real rehearsal looks like. This is what our students look like. And then you can make a, a small production out of it. A student comes up, a sixth grader comes up to the camera. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I went to blank elementary. My favorite instrument then was blank, but now I play blank. See you later. And, you know, it's like all of a sudden we're creating this digital connection. And it saves you the bus trip. It saves you the bus, uh, the gas money. You don't need the permission slips to go on a bus. You don't need to spend half a day off campus. Some people like that. I mean, I would like that. But... <laughs> To spend your class on a, on a digital conference call, I think would be a great. But to get that started, it all starts with an email. I, I, I got an email from the choir director that said, hey, what are your concert dates? Because we're going to advertise your concerts at the middle school level. And I went, oh, oh, that meant the world to me that they cared what my concert is. And then in turn, I see their concert dates. And I go, you know, it'd be really smart of me. I'm going to advertise their concert dates. Because the amount of families that have one student at my school and one student at their school, and there's a ton of them. So then I could say, hey, don't plan anything on these nine dates because it's the middle school band concert, it's my choir concert, it's their orchestra concert, and the parents getting it from multiple directions, it's going to create more efficiency and I think more productivity when they say, okay, here's every musical performance, K to 12, and I highlight the ones I care about because maybe, you know, there's probably some family that's got one in every school. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I think just an email, that first email, and especially because we're all school or educators, our emails are all online. It's so easy to find, you know, everyone's contact. And I know, especially our, our email service, you just start typing a name and it fills in like, oh, there's your email. But a hello. I, I love that. I love that Zoom idea because now that we've returned to in-person learning, we have a lot of people that go and they do the demonstration concert, which I think is wonderful. And they go and do the classroom visits and that's great. Uh, but some of these, particularly these rural communities, I mean, you can have four or five small elementary schools spread all over the county, 
yeah. that can be really challenging to get to and you're trying to go recruit, you know, it could you could be out for an entire week and pulling the students out and to your point there's some logistical components to this. But your idea with the Zoom recruiting and have the kids play and do a tour of the classroom and have the kids talk, I mean, I, I absolutely love that. And certainly that's, a, that's something that we are all comfortable with now having spent a couple of years on Zoom. You know, what a great way to, to do that. And because it's not that real-time plane that I think so many people wanted to achieve this two-way back and forth, you don't really have to worry as much about the latency and the technology and everything like that. It's all very doable. Absolutely. And, and the idea that if it, let's say you did well, if you recorded it, it now becomes something that that class that couldn't be there or the school that the timing didn't work out, the recording goes out to them. You know, and if it's like, it's just one of those deals where you could do it once a year and then you could send it to every feeder elementary school you have. And I know some middle schools, they have many feeders. And I think ours gets about six, I want to say. And it's yeah. like to visit six would be a lot of effort, but to make one video and email it, that's a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful idea, Tyler. And I, I love that you brought that and shared that with everybody. Well, Tyler, as we approach the 45-minute mark here, I would love to just hear any closing thoughts or final advice that you might want to share with your fellow music educators. Yeah. Last year was awful. And you're allowed to feel that way. <laughs> I would I would happily or jokingly, I don't know, I would happily jokingly say, hey, how's it going? I go, ah, oh, it's just the worst year in education ever. Uh, and because it just was, I felt like saying it out loud released the pressure of we're all alone in this. Uh, admitting that that was a nightmare and that like we went back, but we didn't, but we had rules, but there were masks, but then we didn't have to mask like after 40 weeks, you know, it just it was this whole thing where we all went through a different experience. I think allowing us to say that wasn't amazing is perfectly fine. I, I want you to release release yourself of the burden of saying I did good because it was good and everything was good because good things happened. Like allow yourself to say, "Whoa, that was wild!" And the excitement now for me is what will next year be? Because I I'm in a specific situation where I opened a brand new school. We had one normal year. <laughs> and then every year since then has been an asterisk with COVID on it. And so this now, our fifth year open, might be their second normal year at the school. <laughs> and I'm just super excited. I'm, I'm amped for, okay, how is this going to be? What are we going to do? What are we going to accomplish? And I just hope you set a goal that is in line with something you did before the pandemic. Not even like, don't, <laughs> I'm not going to say, don't try to be better. <laughs> Don't don't shoot for the moon. Like, can you set a goal where it's like, I want to do this thing I used to do before COVID was a word we all knew. You know, I used to do this fun parade where we would get the bucket drums and put a rope in them and would wear them around our neck and would walk around and entertain people. And we could stand really close together and kind of march in a very loose formation, very loose. Uh, but that's like the goal. Okay, that's my goal is I want to do that more often. Because during COVID, it was really tough. They couldn't be that close and nobody wanted to gather in a crowd. Okay, so that's my, I want to get back to normal goal. So I would, I would find what you loved about pre-pandemic education and just make it one of your checkboxes. Can I do that this coming year? If your favorite bit was, man, I loved when we, I don't even know. I don't have examples because you have a very unique experience, hopefully. But I'd love for you, the listener, to say, okay, my goal is to return to normal in this one category. And we might, you know, be flipped upside down again. And we're just a little bit more prepared for that this time. But uh, I, I just wholeheartedly believe that 
the next year is better than the last year because the last year was terrible and you're allowed to say that. <laughs> yeah. Great great insight, great advice, Tyler. Absolutely love it. Now for our listeners that may want to keep up with what you're doing, maybe check out your YouTube channel. Where can they find you online? Um, the fun the funnest way to find me is if you search Swick's classroom on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash Tyler Swick if you prefer that direction. Uh, I also have tylerswick.com if you want to get in contact with me, and I just kind of put some recent developments on there. But uh, yeah, I'm findable on almost all social networks, which is I'm very open to. I'm not I'm not popular enough where I'm I can big league people. Like if you add me on Facebook, I'll probably accept. <laughs> there you go. Well, Tyler, I just uh, applaud so much um, everything that you've done, just the the approach that you've taken to this school year, the tenacity, but the energy and the fun. I mean, like I mentioned before our conversation, your your energy, your enthusiasm is contagious. You can just feel it in this conversation. And I know the students in the upcoming classroom uh, or upcoming year are going to have a real treat having you as their educator simply because they're in your class. That means the world, and I hope I want to make that a true statement. Yeah. Well, thanks for being a part of the show today, and uh, good luck in the upcoming school year. Well, thank you so much for having me. Can't wait to be back the next time, and I'll, and I'll, I'll see you then. That's Tyler Swick from Robert and Sandy Ellis Elementary School in Las Vegas talking with Nick Averwater. After Hours, Conversations for Music Educators is presented by Amro Music and is produced by Nick Averwater, Emily McGee, and Joel Hurd in Memphis, Tennessee. You can hear many more conversations at amromusic.com slash afterhours. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators, just like you, can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.